right. Don't you think about that. We'll get back to it in just a minute. Uh, I want to thank you, uh, Don, for uh, inviting me to come. And it's been a great morning already. And uh, I'm just uh, delighted to meet some of your people. You've got some really wonderful people. And it's just good to see uh, here getting in the foothills that uh, we got some people that are really love the Lord. And that's exciting, you know, to do that. Don, I've known him for a long time, and uh, every time I see him, he gives me a hug and a kiss, brotherly kiss. But I told him, if you're going to kiss me, why don't you shave, you know? <laughs> oh, so graciously, oh, man. But uh, it, it encourages me. He is just one of those guys that uh, I've uh, really enjoyed getting to know and uh, just love being with him and you know, in Sacramento, we got something going. Uh, this whole area, we have uh, about 400 pastors. Well, more than that, actually, but usually around three, 400 gather quarterly. And uh, it is wonderful. The unity we have, the love we have for each other, and has nothing to do with denominations, has it all to do with Jesus. And that's what it's about. You know, it, Jesus is the reason why uh, we do all this. And uh, I figure that all these other things that God will take care of, when a person gives their life to Christ, he does the saving, he'll do the keeping, he'll do all these other things. So uh, we just have to keep preaching Christ. And so we have some great brothers uh, and sisters in, in Sacramento that are doing this. And the, the relationship between uh, blacks and Asians and Hispanics is just tremendous. And we have, it's just, uh, I have delighted in, and getting to know these people through the years. I've been doing Pastor Pastor, the radio program, for 20 years now. Imagine I interview a pastor each week, how many pastors I've met through the, s through the years. And uh, Don's one of them. <laughs> so I've really enjoyed uh, getting to know him and, and love him dearly. And it is a privilege to be here with you today. Uh, you uh, are taking a chance anytime you get somebody like me. So you never know. Being a Presbyterian, you know, uh, people wonder, why do you go to this church? Why do you go to that church? I tell you, it has nothing to do with Presbyterians. It has all to do with Jesus. And I'll tell you a bit, I was telling this morning, uh, you know, I'm Reformed, Reformed theology. And what does that mean? You know, there are people who believe that God, before the beginning of the world, all this, that he chose who was going to be saved, who was going to be lost. So you have that chosen group of people. And, in fact, uh, Presbyterians think they're part of that. They call them the chosen frozen <laughs> because they don't, they don't do much. You know, they just they think, oh, I'm chosen, so they don't get that excited about things. But uh, I grew up a Baptist, and uh, then I became a Presbyterian, oh, since 1981 when I was ordained Presbyterian. I was baptized. I was baptized. I was baptized about seven. Uh but I became a pastor when I was 19 at a, at a church and uh, have been pastoring ever since. But I, I, don't, I told him I don't grow tulips. <laughs> if you, you know about Calvin, he had five tulips or seven tulips. I don't know which. I only do about two tulips uh, because I believe uh, everyone has a right to be saved. And that right was given to him by Jesus by his death on the cross. And because he took all of our sins, all your sins and my sins upon him, and the blood of Christ wipes all that out, 
because that of that, we all have a right to be saved. I said, you know, why am I doing this if I thought that everybody had been chosen before the beginning of the world? Why would I preach? In fact, you wouldn't know we were chosen until you die, because how do you know? Maybe you were chosen, and you could work in the church and do all those things. We don't work to get our salvation. Because of our salvation, that's why we work. And so anyway, uh, I just believe that, uh, that we have a right, we have a free will. When God made us as human beings, he gave to us a part of us that has that right to choose. Now, here's the thing. God knows the decision we're going to make because he knows the beginning from the end. But if in that we don't know and we have a choice, and so we come and preach, and we're given an invitation. And I believe that when you preach, you need to give an invitation because you don't know who's there who might be saved or might be lost. And see, I don't have anything to do with the saving. I never saved one person. Never in my life have I saved anybody. Jesus has saved a lot of people because of the witness, because you talk to him, because you're of your life, whatever because of that, but it's not me. It's Jesus does the saving. And because of that, uh, we need to always give people an opportunity to respond to the invitation. So anyway, that's uh, just wanted to tell you that because I believe that's why I'm here, just to share with you and uh, thank God for uh, brothers and sisters in this area who are being witnesses for him. And I'm delighted to be here with you and among uh uh, believers, and uh, there are some that may not know Jesus yet. I hope you'll consider that uh, before the day is out. And it may be day, it may be dark for a few. I don't know. Get me talking, but uh, <laughs> I have a I have a problem in that uh, I have a disease <laughs> called peripheral neuropathy, and the, my knee from the knees down. Uh, they're numb. Nerves are, are dead or whatever. Uh, so I don't have good balance. It's hard for me to get up and down. And I take a lot of, uh, the only way you can stop the pain is through some medications. And uh, those medications always, everyone I take anyway, says a byproduct of that is dry mouth. And so uh, you'll see me drinking a lot this morning because my mouth gets dry and you know who can talk, you know. So you <laughs> nobody likes to hear anybody who can't talk. So. <laughs> and you always notice if when I smile or get too big, I don't have these teeth here. <laughs> That's because I'm an Okie. <laughs> from, I'm not from Muskogee, but I'm close to it. Uh, in fact, I grew up in a place called Ada, Oklahoma. And Ada is not the end of the world, but you can see the end of the world from there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we got a lot, of, a lot of people that just plain good old people. In fact, Okies fell backwards at Seiko. We got those Seiko watches, you know, it says Okies on, on it so you read it backwards. So uh, we got some good people. You know, we grew up there. We didn't know it because we didn't know any better. I used to practice football in that heat and humidity, and I thought, now I said, man, you're crazy to do that. Uh, anybody live? I'd love to go back and you know live. Good people got some friends back there and some family, but uh, heat and humidity is so bad. 
I'll stay right here. This is this is the place to live, and uh, I love this area and love uh, the people, and so we've made our home here, and we plan to stay. Uh, but I want to tell you something this morning. Uh, there's a um, a book written by Miguel Cervantes, Cervantes, written about over 400 years ago. It's one of the uh, great uh, Spanish literature, and it's called Don Quixote. And you probably know probably know that story, or you probably read it. Probably not. Most people haven't read it, but you know the story. Because you've probably seen the play, The Man from La Mancha. And if you've seen that, you know part of the story. But uh, Man from La Mancha, about 1965, well, it was a television program a couple of years before, non-musical. And, uh, but there, it was all the days of the uh, kinescope, uh, so there were no copies of, of it. But it was very successful at the time. But they decided to make a musical out of it. And a guy by the name of Wasserman. Uh, wrote the story, and there's it won uh, on Broadway, The Man of La Mancha. It played for uh, nine years, standing room only, and uh, it won uh, seven Tonys, uh, Best Actor for Richard Cowley and Best Music, Best Musical and all that. So it's a very popular pro uh, story. And uh, so if you know the story, you know that it's about a man who is a knight in his own mind, and he's always tilting with windmills. He thinks the windmills are some uh, four-armed uh, uh, opponent, and he goes tilting with them. And <laughs> sometimes the fans on the thing beat him up. He's <laughs> he's uh, he's quite a character. But uh, it's become a classic uh, through the years. A song that was sung during that program uh, was a song called. Uh, Dream the Impossible Dream, and it uh, goes throughout uh, the musical in different places. And the first song is, is sung to a lady by the name of Aldonza. It says, "The dream, the impossible dream, uh, to fight the unbeatable foe, to bear the unbearable sorrow, to run where the brave dare not go, to right the unrightable wrong." To love pure and chaste from afar. To try when your arms are too weary to reach the impossible star. Now, Quixote in this play uh, is singing that to Aldonzo. He was in this uh, courtyard and uh, where uh, they were staying there, he and Sancho, who was his, his companion. And uh, there was this lady, and she was a, a handmaiden. But she was one who sold her services to uh, the men there, and they were really despicable repro uh, reprobates. Uh, but in the course of uh, her life, she began to lose her self-worth. She didn't think much of herself. But here comes Coyote. He comes along, and all he sees is a, a beautiful lady. In fact, he names her Lady Dulcinea. And in the 17th century language, it means elegant sweetness. And he had pledged his eternal loyalty to her. And he treated her, you know, in such a way she didn't understand because uh, 
she put him in with all the other men in her life who had been abusive and been crude and rude to her. And when he asked, uh, I'd like to have a token from you to carry into battle, she threw him an old dirty dish rag. And it fell on the end of his lance. And to him, it was a beautiful silken scarf. And he, he just treated her all the time. You are a lady. No, I'm no lady, she said. And he said, you're a lady dulcinea. And after uh, a while, she began to, to wonder, as callous as she was, even though she had this jaded uh, past, she began to recognize that something was different about this man. Something was, was different. Uh, whoa. My water got away from me. A, a difference between him and, and other people, the way they treated, treated her. And so she asked him, why are you different? Why do you treat me uh, like this when other men don't? And he responded to her. In, in just a moment, I'll tell you what he said. You see, he was a man whose life was out of sync with society. He was a man that wasn't like other people. You could tell a difference. I wonder, as Christians, can people tell the difference in us from other people? Are we really righteous on Sunday and we put on our best and we're just uh, very saintly during the week? We live like the devil? Or the people where you work and the people where you live, can they tell the difference between you and uh, anybody else? Are your actions so different that that they uh, would recognize that you're a Christian? The old adage says that if somebody were to follow you around to gather evidence, is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Could enough be found about you to say, hey, this guy is a Christian, you know? Is it? Well, I hope so, because that's what takes in this world in which we live, it takes us being different from the world and being re ready to live for Jesus. Now, my life, uh, a lot of people have been uh, great inspirations to me. This, uh, one of the things that I've been dealing with in the last uh, couple of weeks has to do with death. Uh, we have in our church uh, for years, we've had uh, couples groups that uh, meet together in small groups and meet in homes, and we it's all in nautical terms. We call it mariners, and uh, all the different groups are called by different ships and uh, beacons and, and lifesavers and all, all different kind of nautical terms for these groups. And one time we had 35 groups, and... Uh, uh about 12 couples in each group. So uh, this one, I couldn't be a part of it when I was pastor, but when I retired, I joined this group because there were a lot of people that I really loved and, and thought highly of. And so Debbie and I became part of this group uh, called Beacons. And they have been together for 40 years. We've had some ships that have been together 54 years. Uh, and so it's, uh, you know, you go through a lifetime with people in this group, and you have a lot of experiences with them, and you have a lot of love and a lot of, uh, uh, you know, intimate relationships. And so 
uh, about two weeks ago. Well, there's been this one guy who's really just a tremendous guy, and, and she is too, just a wonderful part of the ship. And uh, she began to uh, not be able to walk uh, some, or her legs, and, and she was taking therapy and went to the doctor. And we have a very brilliant uh, cancer doctor in our church, and he began involved. And But they, they knew something was wrong, but they couldn't pinpoint it. All they could come up with was uh, some long name, and they called it a syndrome. And they began to treat the syndrome. And, her, you know, it has to do with those platelets and blood and all that things I don't understand. But uh, they got to be high. They get low, and, and uh, hers were getting low. And she was in the hospital for 42 days. And she got to go home. And she was doing really good for two weeks. She was doing so well. They said, well, wait until... Uh, Two weeks and we'll start the chemo. And on last Monday, they started the chemo. First day, just turned her upside down. That afternoon, they had to put her back in the hospital. And the next day, on Tuesday, they said, "We don't think she'll make it through the night." And at 12:30 Wednesday morning, she died. And this was a blow to us, even though we know that she's been sick. You know, then all of a sudden, it so suddenly happened, and she's gone. And it brings that question about death. You know, it's coming for all of us. The older you get, you know it's coming. I, I say life's like a roll of toilet tissue. The closer you get to the end, the faster it rolls. <laughs> and man, mine is beginning to roll really fast. You know? <laughs> I was in Bakersfield seven years, wonderful people in Bakersfield, and I I've known this lady for over 60 years. She had a great part of my life. And uh, we became, uh, well, I wouldn't like a son because I had a good mom, but we became very close to them. Her husband died, and uh, we did his funeral, and uh, he was a very successful businessman. Uh, anyway, the she's 98 years old, and... Friday, Debbie, my wife, is going to Africa, to Malawi, for three weeks on a, on a trip that we we have a, some uh, groups of people that we take care of, two villages, and we take care of the orphans in those villages, about 400 orphans. And uh, my wife's been very involved with that. And uh, so she's going to go again, and she's afraid that that uh, if we didn't see her, it's been a while uh, uh, she fell about two weeks ago and had to have surgery and this is really just thrown her for a loop and she's home uh, has two people take care of her around the clock but uh, uh, and she doesn't talk very good anyway we decided to go Friday afternoon so we my wife works and she got off work we we left and uh, drove to Bakersfield got there about 10 o'clock on Friday night and got to see her on Saturday morning for uh, about an hour, and then uh, we came back. So the <laughs> time we left with some friends, we uh, we got in about 8.30 last night. So uh, we're, we're still kind of rocking and rolling here, but uh, we know this lady is close to death. She's close to death. So death is sounding on my mind. We lost one of our charter members. She was 99, and she had been a member when they, when they signed the, uh, the charter in, in 1952, there's only four people left now 
original charter signer, and she died. And then another lady who was uh, almost as, as the same category as the one that died, she died. And I, I called one of them an hour right after she died, an hour after she died. So, I mean, death has been just, you know, coming at me, you know, death. It brings that question of mine. If I were to die tonight, where am I going to go? Have I answered that question? I'll tell you, folks, I've answered that question. I know where I'm going to go. When I close my eyes here, I'm going to open my eyes, and I'm going to see Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. See, I know that God is walking with me. He's made that promise in both the Old and New Testament. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. It's the greatest promise in the Bible. I'm going to be with you through all your struggles, through all of life. I'm going to be there. And even when we go home. See, in, in John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking. Anytime Jesus talks, uh, you ought to listen. When you read the, read the Bible, if you've got a red letter edition, when it's in red, you better pay attention. <laughs> and Jesus said, let your hearts be not troubled. I don't know if you've got a troubled heart today. Is that trouble in your heart? Are you kind of disoriented? Are you kind of, you know, just flummoxed? You know, you don't know. If you've got a troubled heart, Jesus said, you believe in God, believe in me. You know, don't look at your troubles. Look at me. And he said, if you be not troubled, he said, the, in my father's house are many mansions. <laughs> That's the old King James Version. Uh, in the NIV, it says, in my father's house are many homes, houses. And he said, I go there and prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. But he said, I go there and prepare a place for you. And I go there and prepare a place for you. I will come again to receive in myself that where I am, there you may be also. So when I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. He has prepared a place for me. You see the, uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. He said that I, I'm going to go there. He's got a place for me. You see, in those days when a person got married, the father just built on another place for them, and they went to live with the father. And if you go to Israel, you notice there's rebar coming out of the top of the houses because they built on another level for somebody to get married. So when we go home, because we belong to the father already, we're going to move into his house. And Jesus, who made this beautiful world in which we live in, said, I'm going to go there and prepare that place for you. You can imagine what it's going to be like if Jesus made that place. He made this earth, and Read Revelation, you begin to get an idea of what it's like. We, I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but it's going to be great because we're going to be there. We don't have these bodies anymore. <laughs> Amen. I mean, I want, I want a skinny one like uh, your pastor, you know. You can have mine, you know. You can, <laughs> there'll be two of you then. <laughs> well, I'm going to get a new body. I'm going to be with him. I'm going to go home to be with him. Now, here's the thing. You know, we talk about the second coming of Christ. And, you know, someday 
God's going to call us all to a close, and, and Jesus is coming again. First time he came on a donkey, next time he's coming on a stallion. Next time he's going to have an army with him. And this time he's going to bring it all to a close, and he's going to stop it, and he's going to build a kingdom a thousand years. You know, it depends what you believe. I think he's going to build a kingdom a thousand years. We can go back and forth between the new creation, and then he's going to bring that to a close, and we're going to have all eternity. Jesus is going to do all that for us. I go to that prepared place for you. And if I go to prepare that place for you, I will come again. You know what? Who's going to come and get me? Jesus. The angels are there, but Jesus. My second coming, if I go and die before Jesus comes to bring it all to a close, Jesus himself is coming to get me. That's my second coming. Is Jesus going to come and get me? Is Jesus going to get you? Are you ready for him? I mean, I'm not ready to make a busload for us to go, but I'll tell you that. <laughs> but when he comes, we're ready to go because he is going to come and get me. And so we can rejoice. We can rejoice in the midst of our sorrow because Jesus is coming again. And he's going to take us home. Now, old Thomas. <laughs> old Thomas, they call him Doubting Thomas. I like to call him Questioning Thomas. Because he asked a question. He was just concerned. Maybe the rest of the disciples felt the same. He didn't understand. He said, Jesus, I don't understand. You talk about going to heaven. We don't know how to get there. <laughs> and Jesus, after he got through banging his head against the wall, you know, Thomas, how many times am I going to have to tell you this? You know, you just I don't pay attention. But he said, Thomas, here it is. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. The gospel is Jesus died on a cross for me. His blood took away all my sin. Blood cleanses. He took all my sins, all the sins I've ever done, ever will do. Jesus took upon himself, and he died. And why he said, my father, why have thou forsaken me? Because he had to be separated from the father because all those sins of all humanity were placed upon him. That's the miracle of salvation. That's the thing I can't comprehend. How could God do that? Jesus, who was righteous, became unrighteous, that those of us who are unrighteous can become righteous, and we can stand in the presence of God. Otherwise, God says, you can't be in my presence. But because of Jesus, we can stand in the presence of God. We are his children. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Well, here is Peyote's response. This is my quest to follow that star. No matter how hopeless, no matter how far, to fight for the right without question or pause, to be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause. Are we willing to do that? We're living in a world of, of, of worldliness. Now, Don Quixote is a, it's a work of, a literature, and I don't know whether he was talking about pitting uh, faith against unbelief or whether it was a contrasting the justified with the condemned. You can get some of those, those things as you read it. But I tell you, for us as Christians, we can say this one thing. The world today is full of ungodliness. 
It's all kinds of evil taking place, and it's beginning to get the upper hand, it seems like. All you do is watch TV. You read the newspaper. You see the things that are happening in this country and it begins to make you wonder, Lord, you withheld your hand from Sodom and Gomorrah. How long will you withhold your hand from us? The sin that we have today is just almost unbearable to God. I, I, he must be, he must be saying it's getting close. We talk about living in the end times, and we never know. Every age has thought Jesus is coming now, but I tell you, I don't know if every age has been in a sin, sin beset world like we're in today. Because you got to look at it. You got one hand the Muslim influx into Europe and Great Britain. Within seven, eight years, Europe will be Muslim. They'll be living under Sharia law. They're they're coming in here under our religious freedom. And though they're they're nice people, everything says, but you don't got to read the Koran. I mean, it's it's not a friendly religion. You got the Chinese. We owe our lives to them. I mean, we we're in hock up to our our nose barely treading water, and they got more people in uniform than they could put a man on every street corner. You know that thing that blew up over there? That, was, that had to do with, uh, what I've been reading, had to do with the uh, military. I don't know what they were doing, but they blew it up. <laughs> you know, they, they can go get ready to go to the moon. They are doing all sorts of things. They're building out in the middle of the, the South Seas, uh, an island, man-made island, and they're claiming that whole area for themselves. They're beginning to flex their muscles. And I tell you, if America doesn't repent, God could send us into captivity. And we say, oh, man, we got to be scared. You know, don't be scared because no matter whether we're under in persecution, whatever, we can flourish. In fact, it does. You can't know. We don't know how many Christians are in China. I mean, it's unbelievable. The dumber people that are there who know the Lord. It's exciting to see. Well, a Christian's life will never be in sync with this world. If you're in sync with this world, you better be heading for your knees <laughs> because something's wrong in your life. And you better start getting right with God. You better start saying what God wants me to do. God is never without a witness. There's always a remnant of people in every age. You go through the pages of history and you flip through them any place you want to stop and put your finger. You'll find the people that are in darkness. You'll find the people that are struggling. You'll find the people who are calling out to God. And God is always there to answer. He always has a remnant. And we may be that remnant here uh, in the coming days. When Christ comes again, he's going to have a remnant on this earth. He's going to have the witnesses that are here. I believe it's the Jews, but, you know, <laughs> it's not the seven day. It's not the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> You ever been to Jehovah's Witness Church? You know, those long buildings, you know, hardly any windows? You go up the door and there's a sign on the door that says, no solicitation. 
Now that's funny, I want to tell you. <laughs> uh, but there's always a remnant. You know, in this world, this world is changing. What time I got to quit? Pretty soon. All right, I'll wrap it up pretty soon. This world is, is changing. But in the midst of this changing world, there's always the changeless Christ. He never changes. The changeless gospel, the changeless Christ, it's always changeless, and it's changeless in its content. This Word of God is always the same. I am the same yesterday, tomorrow, and forever. This Bible is true in every age, in every place. God has given His Word, and it's a promise. He's never broken a promise. There's over 7,000 promises in this book, and He's kept every one of them, not like the ones we make, the trees we make with Russia, they've broken every one of them. It's not like the trees that the United States made with the Indians. They broke every one of them. I'm an Indian, I know. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Chickasaw warrior. <laughs> uh, you know the Chickasaws last year, you know how much money they made? Two billion dollars. I didn't get any of it, but they, they, that's how much. <laughs> well, I got a little bit. But that they really help the aged, old people. The governor has two two jet airplanes. One of them makes it all the way to Switzerland. <laughs> now I'm not making any accusations, but I'm just saying that's a whole lot of money with nobody to watch over it. You know, two billion dollars. It's amazing. Anyway, we're getting. You know what we do? We have all these seven casinos, getting the monies back from those white people. And we have all these cigarette stores, you know, letting them smoke themselves to death. They might have done us dirty, but we're getting back. <laughs> Every single bit of it, little bit by bit by bit. Uh, but anyway, we, <laughs> in the midst of this changeless world, the changeless Bible, changeless gospel is changeless in its content. It's always the same. It never changes. In the midst of this changing world, the changeless Christ is changeless in its intent. The intent of the gospel is that all will be saved. The preaching of the gospel is to every person. I've already said every person that's ever been born, the gospel is presented to them in some way, some form, some fashion. God witnesses to every person, and they have an opportunity to say yes or no to him. You say, is that Jesus? Well, I don't know. But I just know that God witnesses, his spirit witnesses with every single person that's ever been born. But it's easier when you see Jesus. See, when Jesus came, he revealed himself. God revealed himself completely. He, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Who I am, who we are as God is right here. And the easiest way to understand is Jesus. Even a child can understand it. I was seven years old. And I understood it. My sins were forgiven. You know, I, I used to, these youth pastors used to come through, and they'd been saved from, you know, playing a horn in a honky-tonk band. You know, always they'd been in drugs or something. I had these great testimonies, and I said, I don't have any testimony. I was seven years old. I was in Christ until I realized that, you know, some God has to save some of us from our badness and save some from our goodness. 
every single one of us needs Jesus. And so he said he died for me. I wasn't perfect, you know. I'm close to perfect, but you know, <laughs> that's my wife, you know. <laughs> no, she is. But uh, because of the intent of the gospel is everyone to be saved. The changeless gospel in the midst of the changing world is changeless in its con content, and its intent is extent. Everywhere, every man, every child, and every nation, and every place, everyone has the right to hear the gospel. It's our responsibility to take it to them. If we don't get it to them, blood is on our hands. So we have to be willing to sacrifice financially, sacrifice in people going, sacrifice in helping others, find Jesus because he has, he has told us we're to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's a command. We call that the great commandment, don't we? So the extent of the gospel is every single person that's alive in this world today. The changeless gospel in the midst of the changing world is changes in its portent. That's a promise. Here's the promise. If you call for my name, you'll be saved. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He made these promises, and he never breaks one of them. And one that he never breaks is if a person says, I believe in you. He comes in. All you got to do is say, Jesus, I need you. And he'll come in, and he'll show you he is who he says he is. That who he is is real, and he'll prove it to you. He'll come in and change your life. And a changeless gospel in the midst of the changing world is changeless in its demanding commitment. A life that's one half committed is one half defeated, or I say fully defeated. The commitment you have, God calls us to be fully committed. He wants everything, not just a part of you. I say with Presbyterians, we baptize them and they hold their wallet up out of the water so they don't want to get their wallet baptized. You got to get everything baptized. Everything. So it's in its demanding commitment. You got to be committed. If you're not ready to be committed, then God will take care of you. <laughs> you don't think you get all three. God says, if you don't fix, if you don't get the fix I send, I'll send another fix to fix you. God's always going to be challenging us until we understand he is God. When we begin to trust him, then we begin to understand what a great life the Christian life is. Total Christian living. Well, men throughout the ages have understood this. Men like Elijah. I do have a text. <laughs> first, Corinth, first, first Kings chapter 18, verse 7 through 30. You know the story. It's about Elijah. Elijah was afraid of Jezebel. He ran from her. He hated that woman. She brought Baal and she brought all these other uh, religions in and it, throughout the whole country. And Ahab was her willing servant. But God gave him enough gumption. He went to Ahab and he says, bring all the prophets of Baal together and all the prophets of Asherah. There were 450 of Baal and 400 of Asherah. And we'll meet on Mount Carmel. 
And there we'll have a contest. We'll prove once and for all who is God. And they said, okay, we'll do it. They took the challenge. So there they met. And all the prophets were there. They built their sack of wood. They brought two bulls in. They killed the bulls, and one could choose the other. Elijah didn't care. You choose the one you want. And they were there. Whoever fire got started without them doing anything, that's God. Well, they began to shout. They not beginning early morning, and they began to shout. They began to call upon God, on their God. And by noontime, Elijah, he, he wasn't a very, well, he got a flag thrown in the National Football League because he began to taunt them. <laughs> he wasn't very Christian-like, I guess. I don't know. He said, hey, guys, maybe your God is asleep. Why don't you yell a little louder? And so they yelled a little louder. They clanged the buckets and everything else, making noise. He said, maybe he's going on vacation. Get a word to him to come back. And one thing that never gets uh, translated in the Bible, but it's there, it's the way it's written. It said, he said, maybe your, your, your God is going to take, go to the bathroom. <laughs> and that's where he is, so matter, go get him. That, that's what he said. Go get him. Now about 4 o'clock, nothing happened. So Elijah, Elijah says, my turn. So he built an altar, 12 stones representing each of the 12 tribes of Israel. He built the altar. He put the wood on there. Then he said, you know what? Bring four buckets and pour water on it. Now this was a drought. Seven years, I think, after that, had any rain for like us. And four buckets, well, this is, this is a, as I said this morning, the environmentalists went crazy, you know. Wasting water, then you had another time. Pour some more on there. Pour some more on there. I'm not going to say what I said the first day. No, I don't want to say it. The environmentalists are going to be the death of our country. <laughs> Amen, I tell you. And I can prove it. We got more oil than Saudi Arabia does, and they won't let us drill it. That's plain stupid. Anyway, Amen. <laughs> I don't care if you agree. I really don't care if you agree with me. I don't know. I just, what I believe. Uh, but if you ask me what I believe, I'll really tell you. So, pour the water on there. And he called God, he's a God of fire. And fire came down and it burned up the stones. It burned up the altar. It burned up the wood. It burned up the sacrifice. It even drank, it came and licked up the waters in the trenches. Then it licked up the dust. It was gone. The people fell on their faces. Who's God? The Lord Jehovah is God. I tell you what, though, if you're depending on a, on a miracle to get you saved, it's not what saves you. It's not a miracle. There are people might have believed, oh, this is a miracle of God. Oh, yes, but I tell you what, it's got to be a work in your heart. You've got to invite Christ in, and he'll change your life. You can't just say, oh, I, just, I take this miracle to be God. Look at the children of Israel. They came out of Egypt. Here God opened up the waters. They went through on dry land. God killed all the Egyptians. What happened? Right after that, they were building a golden calf. You'd think they just saw miracles. Did it change their heart? No, because miracles don't change your heart. The blood of Christ changes your heart. 
And if you're not willing to let him come in your life and be the, the Lord of your life, then you're going to go out in eternity with nothing. You know what you got to do to be to be lost? You know what you got to do to be lost? Nothing. When you're born and you die and you want to be lost, you don't want God in your life. All you got to do is nothing. You see, God by the Holy Spirit witnesses everybody's heart. But God uses people. He uses people to get in the way. I tell people, they say, well, my son's somewhere, and I, Pastor, we've got to pray to be saved. I said, we've got to pray that God will bring a person in his life that will stand in his way, that will bring the message, live the life before him, because God works through people. But if you're going in life, God comes and he knocks on your heart's door, and you say, no, I think, no, no. Satan's always whispering in your ear, you know what? They'll say, they'll say, you know, Jesus is the Son of God. He'll say, I agree. He's the Son of God. He died on the cross for your sins, and you need him in your life, and it'll change your life, but you don't have to do it today. Later, later, and he whispers that lie after lie after lie, and people keep saying no to God, and their heart begins to harden. The same sun that melts butter also hardens clay, and your heart begins to harden, and before long, you don't even hear the Holy Spirit anymore. You just keep on walking, and when you die, you'll get your wish. God's not going to be in your life. You're going to go into eternity without God, and you're going to live eternity without God, and that is hell. That's what you're facing. But if you hear God's voice, and you say, I believe, and he says, change direction. You got to change directions if you want to go to heaven. And once you change direction, then you are predestined to go to heaven. You're not predestined before the world chose you. It's when you receive Christ because of that, then you're predestined to live with him. And you're on it like a train going down a track. And that train from the time you're born and the time you that's going to hell. Here we have God says, I want you to change. All you got to do, and he builds, he builds another train track, and it goes this way back to God. You got you to get on that heaven train. You got to get on that train that's heading toward God, and he's going to take you to heaven, and you'll be with him forever and ever. Well, I tell you, Elijah said you stand between two decisions. Who are you going to choose? You got to choose. You have to choose. As Yoga Bear said, <laughs> when you come to a fork in the road, take it. See, you, you can't do that. <laughs> you got to make a choice, one or the other. What's your choice? What's your choice today? Do you choose Jesus? Well, there's a whole list of guys, Jeremiah and Isaiah, Zechariah and John the Baptist, all these guys. All these guys were faithful in preaching the gospel. And the Bible teaches today, the pastor you have right here is faithful and standing in the way of sinners, preaching the gospel, preparing you to go out and do the same thing. But finally, <laughs> the song says, and I know 
things that I know if it'll only be true through this glorious quest, that my heart will lie peaceful and calm when I'm laid to my rest, and the world will be better for this, that one man, formed and covered with scars, still strove with his last ounce of courage to reach within reach of the star. And Jesus reached the star. Jesus paid the penalty. Thank God for what he did. Thank God that he's alive today. Thank God that he is a God of salvation. He is a God of love, and he loves you. And even, even if heaven wants the end of our game, the life you live here is so much more worth it. I mean, you Ten Commandments are not given to us not a bunch of don'ts. It's how to live a good life. <laughs> you want to live a good life? Follow those. And you live in the good life because you got Jesus in your heart. Have time to tell the bird chase story? You didn't know I was going to preach this long, did you? <laughs> There's a man walking down the street. <laughs> and he had a birdcage in his hand. If you got to go, you go ahead and go. And if not for you to leave, I'll go with you. <laughs> I'm not the last one in the room. Go down. I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> he, had, he had two birds in a birdcage. And he's going down the road, and another man came up to him, and he saw, he looked at him, and he says, hmm, birds weren't meant to be in a cage. They were meant to fly. He was an environmentalist, you know. <laughs> no, he saw those birds, and he said, the guy said, but the birds belong to me. I can do with them what I wish. Oh, will you be willing to sell your birds? Yeah. How much will you take for them? I'll take all the gold you have and all the silver that you have. And the man said, I'll pay it. And he reached into his pocket, and he gave him the man all the gold he had and all the silver he had. Purchased the birds. Now they belong to him. He took the cage, and the first thing he did was open up the door. And those birds, you know what they did? Nothing. They were just lived their life just like they'd always lived it, even though there's the door that's open because they just kept living like they've always lived. And so he takes his hand, and he wraps it on the side of the cage, and tries to, and they flutter around, but they still don't do anything because they've got to live the life I've been living. So he does it again. He really shakes them up. And finally, one bird, seeing the open door, flew out through the, to the open door, and he began to unfurl those wings that had been cramped for so long. Man, this is great. And he began to sing. He flew around that cage, flying and singing. And the other birds still in the cage saw him, and he flew out through the door, and they flew off together into the sunset because they had found the purpose for which they had been created. That's what happened to us. Here we are in clutches of Satan by our own doing because we are the inheritors of Adam and we sin and we are in his clutches. We belong to him. Jesus says, that's not what people were created for, Lord. He said, I'm going to go down and talk to Satan about this. He said, hey, they were meant to live like that. They're mine. They belong to me. I'm the Lord of earth and I got them. Will you sell them? Uh, well, maybe. What do you take for them? All the gold you have and all the silver that you have. And Jesus said, I'll pay it. 
And on the cross of Calvary, he paid with the gold of his blood and the silver of his tears. And he purchased you and me. And now I belong to him. Now I belong to Jesus. But you know what? We're just like those birds. What did we do? Nothing. We've been living the way we always lived until Jesus comes and the Holy Spirit knocks on our heart's door. And he says, I'm the door. I'm the way. I'm the truth. If you want to live, go out through that door. And finally, one seeing the open door says, cross that doorstep. And the other one follows after him. And they sing together, redeemed, redeemed. Redeemed and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed. His and forever I am. Ah. Folks, it's been a joy to be with you today. Before I leave, I said one thing. When you preach, you got to give an invitation. Would you close your eyes just for a moment? Bow your head. I want to ask you a question. If you're here today and you know for sure and for certain that Jesus is in your heart and you've given your heart and life to him, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm proud to say I'm a Christian without hesitation. Would you lift your hand? I want to see you lift your hand? Oh, praise God. Praise God. All right, put them down. Now, here's a tougher question. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you know it. You know, I don't know it. Only you and God knows it. You're here today and you don't know Jesus. You don't have him in your heart. Would you just lift your hand? Let me see it. Well, praise God. We're all saved. Nobody's. I don't know that for sure, but you haven't lift your hand. But if you're here and you're not saved and you know it and you didn't lift your hand, I want to tell you, God knows it, and you know it. And no matter where you are, someplace, you can ask him. He'll come in. But don't wait. There's no promise of tomorrow for any of us. Don't wait. Give your heart and life to him today, and he will save you forever.